This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. So, Pastor Sean started... Uh, At the beginning of January, he started a series called 360 Degree uh, Disciple. And we've been talking about what it means to be a 360 degree disciple. You know, well-rounded, just what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, actually? And so he talked about a lot of things I want to review just real quick. He started off with worship. And if we have that uh, screen there, what worship is, is actually reaching up to God. We reach up to God in worship. And, and he used Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, where it says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice. And that's what it means to worship God. It's just not when we gather on Sunday morning to sing. But actually, a worshiper is a living sacrifice that we live every day of the week as we are followers of Jesus. And then our second slide He talked about worship, then he talked about discipleship, that we reach up in worship and then we reach down in discipleship. We dig down into the word of God and and we grow our roots deep in his word and our understanding of him as we grow closer to him in relationship. And then he talked about community and how as a disciple and follower of Jesus, we reach out to our community. We understand that the church is not simply just for us, but it's actually for a world. We are the church and we're here for the world and we reach out in community that way. And then finally, last week, he talked about servanthood and being a follower of Christ, 360 degree Christian, that we um, serve, and that's just part of who we are as a follower of Christ, is that we serve our God in various ways, and there's a lot of ways to get connected, and he talked about that, and so he, he left the last one for me. He went over all of these, and he says, you get to do the last one, and the last one, and being a 360 degree Christian is evangelism, that we are called to do evangelism, and I know that word, evangelism, strikes. Like some of your hearts are just beating faster. It's like, oh no, pastor's gonna talk about evangelism. I, I understand the, the worry and concern and the fear in some of our hearts when we mention a word like evangelism. So I'm, I'm, I get that one this morning. And we're gonna talk about evangelism and how when we are followers of Christ, that we are called to share the gospel, to, to take the good news to the poor, to, to, to take the good news wherever we go. And, uh, and I understand too that that is probably one of the hardest things to do as we're talking about being a 360 degree Christian. But bear with me, we're gonna talk about it this morning and hopefully at the end we'll just have maybe a little different perspective on what that evangelism is. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna continue in the book of Romans chapter 12. We're gonna start in verse nine. My friend Larry's gonna come out and read it to us. He's gonna read all the way down to verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn. If you have your iPad, your iPhones, however you access the word of God, stand up and let's read together the word of God. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. I'm going to get back to the text in just a little while. I'm going to try to set the stage for you and try to give you some background, and then we're going to get back to this. So if some time's passed and you're like, I think the pastor forgot the Bible. No, I have it. I'm going to get to it, okay? But I want to give you some background. But before I even get to that, there's something happening today. Let's just talk about the elephant in the room real fast. The Super Bowl is happening, right? So I got some questions, and I want you to answer verbally. Like, don't raise your hand. We're going to be proud supporters of whoever we're supporting today. Okay, so I want to hear it. <laughs> He's on Jesus. I'm like, yeah, Team Jesus. That's awesome. We're getting there, my man. We're getting there. How many of you guys think or are rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl? Let me just hear it. Okay, not too bad. Uh, maybe a little less than last service, but all right, all right. Man, I don't want to ask this question. Here we go. How many of you guys are rooting for the San Francisco 49ers to win the Super Bowl? All right, all right. I got another question. I got another question. How many of you guys don't care who wins? <laughs> you didn't even let me finish the question. You're like, screw all that, Pastor. We're just for the food. Right? How many of you guys are going for the food? Let's hear it. Yeah. One last question, one last question. How many of you are going to the game, you don't care who wins, but you're gonna watch all the commercials? You ready, excited for the commercials? That always seems to be a popular one, right? Everybody goes for the commercials. Everybody wants to see the latest advertisements. Everybody wants, I have a couple commercials I want you to watch this morning. Now, have you noticed there's like a trend, and it's been a long trend. They've been doing this for a while now, several years. But have you ever noticed in advertisement there's a trend going on where they like tell you, like they tell you a story, but never mention the product, and you're at the end like, what are they advertising for? You know, like what is that? And, but it's beautiful, and it tells a great story. There's a great soundtrack, and music's all great, but you're just like, what? I want to show you one of those commercials. Let's watch this commercial together. Shangri-La Hotels. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, I've never been to a Shangri-La Hotel, but I'm going to tell you, they're not saying that when you go to their hotels, you sleep under wolves. Like, you're, they're not saying that. You sleep in the snow at Shangri-La Hotels. They're not telling you that. 
They're telling you a story and they give you like an awesome soundtrack behind it, right? Like the music's intense, the story. And then Shangri-La Hotels, beautiful, all that kind of, drives me crazy. But this is what advertising is going to. This is what they're doing. They're telling you a story and giving you a soundtrack. And then it's a heart connection. And you fall in love with that story. So, so I want you to watch this next commercial because this is one you're like, I'm gonna give you it up right now. It's about gum. I'm gonna show you a commercial about extra gum, okay? And every now and then in the commercial, they're gonna show you some gum. But just watch this. Let's watch this commercial together. Extra gum. You go, oh, look at how sweet. I'm not going to lie. I have a little girl when I watch that. I was like, oh. <laughs> Extra gum. What are they? They, connect, they told you a story, showed some gum every now and then, had a great soundtrack. Did you hear what the soundtrack was saying? At the very end, he, he, he says in the soundtrack, how am I being a dad? You know, I hope so good. I don't know. You know. <laughs> My little girl's right over there. Oh, baby, I love you. Anyway. Emotional moment. That, that's what advertisers do it now, right? They're giving you this story and connecting you to a heart, to, to, to some kind of emotion. And then they're giving you a soundtrack that connects it even deeper. And they're calling it advertisement. And they do it all the time. Well, guess what? The advertisement agencies have connected. And the reason why we love commercials like that is because the advertisement agencies have figured out what the language and soundtrack of our culture is. They've understood, they understand what our language is. So I wanna, I wanna dive in just a little bit and talk about messiology. And, and what messiology is the study of missions. Like how do we do missions? How do we reach people? And so for example, if we were to be dropped into a country, we just, all of us were missionaries, and we were gonna go to a country that has never heard the gospel before, never heard anything about Jesus, never heard the good news of Christ, and we were to be dropped into that culture, what would, what would happen is we would be messiologists. We'd be missionaries. And the first thing we would do as missionaries is what? We'd go learn their language. We would learn the language. We might as well not even go if we're not willing to go learn the language. We have a young lady that we just sent off this last week. We've been raising money for her. And she is in Iraq right now learning the Kurdish language, right? Isn't that She's awesome. And then she's going to go minister to the Kurdish people, but first she had to go learn the language. That's what messiologists do. That's what missionaries do. They learn the language of their culture. And then the second thing they do is they learn the culture. You see, our job is not to go in and change the, the people's culture. Our job is to go in and tell them about Jesus. And so what we need to do is learn the language and understand their culture so that we can go in and actually 
share the gospel with people. It would be hard to do if we don't do those two things. But advertisers, what they have learned is they have actually learned the language of our culture here in the United States. And that's why we are seeing them do advertisement in this way. They understand that our culture today, the language of our culture is a story and a soundtrack. They, they, they tapped into that. They understand that if they can evoke an emotion and they can tell a powerful story and then they can give a soundtrack of music that goes along with that, it captures our attention and then they are able to get across the message they want to get across. I think they're brilliant. I think that's an incredible way of looking at things and I wish the church would understand that concept. I wish the church would understand that in our culture today, that many people in our culture listen to a story and understand a soundtrack. That is our language of which we speak. If you don't believe me, then how many of you guys are communicating through text messages, through emojis, through memes? That's because that's a story how many of us are, have those soundtracks in our mind that the music we listen to just pumps them up and evokes an emotion and then we go out and do something? That's because that's how we communicate. And I wish as a church we could understand the power of a story and the power of a soundtrack because that's what our culture, how they are listening today. So how in the world do we as missionaries, how in the world do we as a church communicate the gospel in such a way to communicate effectively with our culture? In fact, how many of you guys realize that our culture is shifting? In fact, it's not even shifting, it has already shifted and it's been a while. But we are in an age in which our culture is becoming more and more antagonistic towards the gospel. Our culture is becoming more and more antagonistic to what the Bible has to say, to what God is. Are you feeling it or is it just me? Okay, I feel like some of you aren't believing what I'm saying, so I'm going to prove it to you right now. I'm going to bring up Yahoo search engine. And you know how a search engine works? You type in what you want to search, and as you are typing in, it fills in for you what other people have searched, like that day. So let's just bring up Yahoo, for example. Bring it up. Adam, if you could bring it up. And when you bring up Yahoo's search engine, go ahead, bring it up. I want, you to, I want you to type in these words. Why are Christians so, just leave it right there. Wow. Wow. Yeah, church, this is what they think about us. Right here. Look at this. Why are Christians so judgmental? That's what they think about us. Why are Christians supporting Trump? I don't even know what that means. Why? I don't know how they get that, but that's what they think, whatever. Why are Christians so mean? Why are Christians persecuted? That's a good one. Why are Christians hypocrites? I love this one. Why are Christians against yoga? <laughs> Can I confess? I'm not even sure. I didn't even know we were supposed to be against yoga, but whatever. Why are Christians leaving the church? What a great question. Why are Christians baptized again? Why are Christians so hateful? Why are Christians Republicans? <laughs> Whether we are or not, I don't know, but, but that's the, what the world thinks of us, right? Are you with me now? Yeah. Am I painting a picture for you of what the world thinks Christians are? Am I painting a picture for you of what Christians think the church is? You see, we have the story 
we have the story. We have a story that transforms lives. We have a story that has transformed my life. And for many of you in the auditorium, it has transformed your life too. God's story transforms lives. It is the message of hope and love around the world. And we have the story. And we get to take that story and we get to live out our relationship with God through our soundtrack and we get to tell the world about this hope and love. The fact that God saw us and was separated from us because of our sin, but chose to enter into our story, lived a perfect life, died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin because he was perfect, rose from the dead, and because of that, we get to have eternal life and a relationship with our Father. Not only eternal life, but we get to have life right now here on earth as part of his kingdom. Isn't that good news? That's the message of the gospel. That's the story we have. And yet when we talk about evangelism, so many of us just kind of shrink and, and think, man, that's so, so bold. I don't, I don't know if I could do that. Listen, I'm not here to shame you today. I'm not making you here to make you feel bad. Some of you have the gift of evangelism. That is awesome. God bless you guys. I don't have the gift of evangelism. There's some people who have the gift of evangelism. That is like, like Pastor Sean. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I've been around that guy for years and years what you see on stage is who he is. We travel. He has the gift of evangelism. That dude sneezes and people come to Christ. It's like crazy. <laughs> but for the rest of us mortals, we like have to work on this because we don't have the excuse of just saying, uh, you have the gift of evangelism, so why don't you do all the evangelism? We don't have that excuse because the scripture is very clear that all of us who are in the church, who have been transformed by this message of the gospel, we are to share that message. That's very clear. When Jesus left, he like ascended and all the disciples were here and Jesus said, I'm leaving you, the Holy Spirit is coming, be my church, you go tell everybody I'm out. And he was like ascending and if I was there, I'd be like, Jesus, come back because I, I don't know I'm gonna be good at this. And, and here's the deal. Like, the, he didn't make for a, a he, he didn't say there was another plan. Jesus didn't say like, hey, I'm gonna use you guys. The people that are followers of me, I'm gonna use you guys to take my message, my story, around the world. And if you fail, then I got a plan B. Don't worry about it. Like, he didn't say that. There is no plan B. He said the church is it. And so he's called each one of us to take that story that is in us, that has transformed us, to tell others about that great story, the redemptive story of Jesus Christ. And so we can't just say, well, why don't you just do all the evangelism and I'll just go hold babies. Although holding babies is very much a part of evangelism. If a new family comes to our church who doesn't know Christ and they don't trust the people holding the babies, they ain't listening to the gospel. So kudos to you guys who hold babies. I'm just saying. It's a part of everything we do. Evangelism is a part of everything we do. It's all in us and all around us. And yet, how in the world do we reach this culture that is yahooing those kind of things and believe those kind of things? And how do we get that message across? Let's start with a definition. 
of evangelism. Just so we're all on the same page. Now, there's a lot of definitions out there. Some of them are great definitions. I, I, I was kind of researching that and what some people describe evangelism and, and all that kind of stuff. In fact, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher, just awesome. And uh, he said evangelism is this. He said evangelism is one poor person telling another poor person where the bread is. I love that definition. I'm not going to use it, but I love that definition because that's really what it is. But the definition I want to I use today, just so that we're all on the same page, is this. This is the definition of evangelism we're going with. Telling God's story, telling God's story, that's the gospel, and leaving the results to God. Telling God's story, the gospel, and leaving the results to God. The reason why I included that last piece, leaving the results to God, is because so many of us shy away from evangelism because it becomes too heavy. Like we begin to feel guilty because we're not doing evangelism. We're not telling people God's story. And we consume ourselves with guilt. We consume ourselves with shame. But I want to tell you this morning, church, you do not save anybody. I'm going to say that again because that's incredibly encouraging and I want you to, to sink in. You as a believer, you and I, we do not save anybody. Our role in the church is simply to tell the story, not deliver the results. And right now, let's just get the shame and the guilt of evangelism out of the way. Let's put it in our pocket. Don't even put it in your pockets. You'll take it out later. Let's throw it away. Because so many times when it comes to evangelism, we live in this guilt thing. I know what it's like. I, I became a Christian as a teenager, and in my church that I became a Christian, they would tell us this. They would say, like, man, if you don't share Jesus with them, they're going to hell. What? And so I was like, man, that's on me. I got to, oh, man, I don't know. And, and just guilt and shame overwhelmed me. And, and then one day, just kind of maturing in Christ, I'm like, I'm not sure that's true. Because there's a thing called God, and he's sovereign. Right? I mean, can I just put your mind in, I'm not trying to make you feel better or worse or anything. I'm just telling you the truth. Listen, you don't save anybody, but you are called to be the mouthpiece of God and to share God's story. And by the way, evangelism happens as a group anyway. Evangelism happens. How many of you guys right now, listen, just think about your story. How did you come to Christ? Or how did you come back to Christ? Was it by one person or by, was it a group effort? Probably, probably for most of you, you know, it could be one person, but probably for most of you, it was a group effort. It certainly was for me. I was a young teacher, kind of teenager, just kind of rebellious. And my brother became a Christian. He began to invite me to church. I had a grandma who was a Christian who was praying for years for me. I had a group of people that I met when I finally did go to church, and they kept encouraging me to come back to church. And then I had a, a young man share the gospel with me when I was at a camp one day and finally I realized what the gospel meant and the implications and I invited Christ to come into my life. That was a group effort. It wasn't just one person. And evangelism is this collective agreement that the church is the spokesman for the gospel that we get to share God's story and we get to pray for those people who don't know Christ. We get to love on those people who don't know Christ. We get to invite those people who don't know Christ. And we get to share God's story with those people who don't know Christ. 
So let's get the guilt out of the way. I want to share a verse with you, Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 11. This is one of the most impactful verses when it comes to evangelism. And I want you to hear it loud and clear. This is what Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 says. It says this. So it is my word. This is God talking. This is God. He says, so it is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. But it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it out. What this verse is saying is, whatever you speak, When you speak truth and you tell God's story, it is God's responsibility who sends that word out. And he will make it accomplish whatever he wants it to accomplish. And it will not return to him void. Like we speak in the name of Jesus. We tell people the good news. And it's not a waste of our time. Because when we do that, God uses it to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He knows what he's doing. He sees the bigger picture. We don't. But we are supposed to still be faithful in delivering that message. And then we just leave the results to God. Because he will not allow those words to return empty. He's at work. And we have to trust him for that. So telling God's story, the gospel, and leaving the results to God. Telling God's story. Just like what the advertisers have have discovered. that How powerful a story it is. And when a powerful story is spoken and a soundtrack is accompanied, it it can accomplish something. And and my goal for you today is to understand that we have a story and that you have a story. And that when we live out that story, that is our soundtrack to our world. So here's my question. What's your story? What's on your soundtrack? What are you playing to a world? Are you living out... That, that fundamental change that has happened in you. You see, when we experience great things in our life, what do we do? We share them with friends. We tell people about it, right? I mean, most of us, some of you are like, man, I'm like way too introverted for that. But, like, come on, guys. You get a pair, new pair of, you know, a new pair of shoes, a new pair of kicks, all that kind of stuff. And you're just like walking around like, uh, like, like it's nothing, right? Like, I didn't get nothing, you know? And they step on your shoe, hey, watch my shoe, man, you know? You're just hoping people notice, and then they notice, and you're just like, yeah, that's right, man. You know, I paid, you know, $200 for whatever, you know? Okay, that's a bad example, because guys don't always do that. But this is a good example right here. Ladies, when you get engaged, that great experience of, pure joy of getting engaged. What do you do? Like the next, you know, like that Monday, you get engaged over the weekend, that Monday you're like, your friends are like, what happened on the weekend? You're like, oh, nothing. (laughs) Nothing at all. No, nothing happened. I tell you right here, nothing happened. (laughs) My hand's getting heavy. You know, that kind of a thing. And your girlfriends are like, oh, you got engaged. You're like, oh, yeah. That's because inside of you, there's something that you feel so joyous about. That's what evangelism is. It's, a, it's an outpouring of what's happening in our inside. We have been transformed. The message of the gospel is transforming. We're never the same because of what God has done in us. And we can't help but share with others the soundtrack of our lives. And this is what Paul's getting at right here. This is what Paul's getting at. Let's go back just a little bit. I, I, the beginning of chapter 12. 
Chapter 12, he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, if you have God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He starts off in verse one saying, therefore. Now, those of you who now have been reading the Bible for a while, anytime you come across the word therefore, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to ask, why is it therefore? That's just good Bible. When you hear therefore, you say, well, what was it therefore? And then what you do is you read before it to find out why that's there. It's there for a reason. And so let's go back to chapter 11. Let's go back to chapter 11. Chapter 11, Paul, so, the, so the, the whole book of Romans is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to a bunch of Gentile believers in Rome. And he's teaching them about their new faith and how to live it out. And then because they're Gentiles, we find in chapter 11 that there's, there, there's some, some rumors, and this happened all the time in the first century church, where there was a, a constant, like, I'm a Jew and I'm a Christian. Do we really believe in the same God and do we live out the same way? Are Christians supposed to live like Jews now? Or are Jews supposed to like, no, you guys are Christians, we're all Christians now. And it was a constant this kind of a thing. And what's happening in Romans chapter 11 is Paul is writing the church in Rome and he's saying, listen, I understand that you have been, been, been hearing some things about you guys as Gentiles and becoming a believer in Christ and being a follower of Christ, but I want you to know that, that because you are a follower of Christ, that you are a new creation, that you've been grafted in to Israel, so therefore you do have a relationship with God. Because the Israelites were like, well, no, no, that's just our God. Nobody else could have our God. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. When you become a believer, and it's true for the day, we are grafted into the family of God. We, we are grafted into the kingdom. He is our God. We have been saved by him because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And so he's explaining that in chapter 11. And then he gets to verse 1 and he says, therefore, because you have been changed by the gospel, you've been grafted in, you are the, the God is your king, Jesus is your savior, Lord, therefore, now, let's look at it. Therefore, I urge you to be a living and holy sacrifice. And he goes on to explain how that looks, how we should be living because of this transformation, because we are part of God's kingdom. Are you with me? So he gets, he gets to, Pastor Sean kind of went over all these other verses. If you missed his messages, you should go see them because they're awesome. But I'm gonna start with verse nine. And I'm gonna start with verse nine because Paul clearly states to us, this is how believers live. You want to be an evangelist? We're going to start right here. You want to be a person who gets to share God's story through word and deed, through speaking it and living it. Because that's what Paul's painting the picture for us for. That we don't only just speak it, we live it. We don't only just live it, but we speak it. So many times as evangelists, like, yeah, I'll be an evangelist, but I'm just going to live it. Like, I'll just be a moral person. And somehow, I just trust that God will look, people will look at me and say, oh, he's such a good person. I wonder what's going on with him. And that's true, but there, there comes a time that we have to verbally share the gospel as well. So it's in word and deed, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians. And he says, let's start with here. You want to be a, a, a 360 disciple? You want to be someone who shares the gospel, who is a great evangelist? We're going to start right here in verse 9. Because therefore, we are all transformed because of this. We're living sacrifices. And this is how we live out a living sacrifice, verse 9. 
He starts with this. He says, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Listen, if you're not sincere in the way you're loved, they're gonna sniff it out. You know it and I know it because I sniff it out and you do too. When people just say one thing but act a different way. And you're like, yeah, they say they love me, but they don't love me. Love must be sincere. Paul is encouraging the believers and all of us to, to really like learn to love people. I know that's hard. Sometimes more than others. But as Christians, he's calling us to be a living sacrifice and we must learn to love people. That's where sharing the gospel starts is just be sincere in, in our love. And then he goes on to this. He says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now the world will tell us that's like, like a gray area. The world will tell us, well, how do you know what's good and how do you know what's evil? That's your opinion. Stop it. Church, you know what's good and what's not good. There might be some gray area out there. For the most part, though, let's just stop. Come on, let's be real. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. About a month ago, I was on my way to church. And I wasn't feeling good this one of those mornings. And uh, that particular morning, I was kind of starting to feel cruddy. So I felt like I needed some vitamin C in me. So I stopped by this donut shop to pick up some orange juice. And... Uh, Hey, y'all. <laughs> hey, my wife is sitting right over there. Did you just go with it for a second? I stopped by the donut shop to get some orange juice, honey. <laughs> y'all just call me out just like that. I love it. I open up the door, and right as I open up the door, there's a, a, a woman's wallet right there. Like I would have stepped on it as I walked out. It was right there. I look around the parking lot. There's no cars. So I reach down and I pick up the wallet as I close the door and go to get my orange juice. And uh, I open up the wallet. Well, the first thing I noticed, I just happened to, this is the first thing I noticed, is that there was some cash in there. I, look, I may or may have not have counted it and it may have made close to being about $250, okay? There was an ID, a bunch of visas in there, and right next to the ID, there was a bunch of phone numbers. There was about $250. When I left the donut store, there was about $200. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> kidding, totally kidding. So I reached in my pocket to get my phone out and start making some phone calls, and I realized I forgot my phone at my house. So I had to go all the way back to my house uh, to get my phone. I got my phone, I start calling the phone numbers. I call the first one and nobody answers. I call the second one, this man answers. I say, may I speak to Miss so-and-so? And he goes, uh, who's calling? I'm her husband. And I say, well, my name is Scott and I just found her wallet on, in a parking lot and I would wish to return it. And he goes, what? My wife's out running errands right now and I bet you she doesn't even know she lost her wallet yet. And I said, yeah, um, what would you like me to do? I'd like to return it. Can I, can I take it to your house because I know your address or if you would like to come to my house? <laughs> he, says, uh, he says, oh no, that'd be great. Let me call her. She's out and about running around. I'll just have her come by your address. I gave her the address. And he says, he goes, yeah, that's, that's real interesting. You know, you, there, there's a lot of money in there. And I said, oh, really? Hey, 
can I just be real for a moment? Like, I love you guys, man. This is my family, and I love you guys. Sometimes you just got to fess up. As I'm driving from the donut shop to my house, seriously, we were going out of town later, and I thought to myself, man, that'd be some great gas money right there. <laughs> I didn't do it, but I thought it, darn it. Y'all have no idea the carnal right here is in me. So, so the guy, I'm talking to the husband. He goes, well, let me call her. I'm going to see if she can go by and pick it up. And he goes, by the way, there was a lot of cash in there. And I just out of curiosity, why, why are you returning it? As if like the norm in our society is not to return it. Or at least he was kind of hinting that there's cash in there, dude. So there better be cash in there. And my response to him was this. I said, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And this is just what we do. Amen. Like, like we know what's good and what's, what's that's not good. We know what's right and what's not right. And I'm telling you that gas money would have been awesome, but, but, but I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, so I just know what's right. And so you know what his response was? He went like this. I told him, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and this is just what we do. And he goes, ugh, ugh. He goes, this morning, me and my wife had an argument because she's been wanting to get back into church. And I'm like, I don't want anything to do with this. You know what I said? Hey, so Clovis Hill starts at 9 o'clock at 1040. <laughs> if you're here this morning, come up and say hi. I really, that would be awesome. You know what I mean? But we know what's good and we know what's not good. And the, the, here's the thing, guys. The world's watching us. The world's watching. They're watching to see if you're really into this. Like if your life has really been transformed or are you just playing around because it feels good and you're just checking a box. They're watching you. I know that all too well because I grew up in a home full of non-Christians. My brother became a Christian, but he moved out. And then when he moved out, I was the only Christian in the house for years and years and years. And every time I did something stupid, which I did, my dad would say, oh, man, how's that Jesus thing working out for you? Yeah. My mom would say, oh, man, that church is really helping you, huh? And I had to live with that. And, and here's the deal. Like, they're watching they want to know if your faith is real. They want to know if you really believe this stuff or are you just around because it makes you feel good at times or, or you're trying to relieve some guilt. But what a powerful witness that is. Look what Paul continues to say right here. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Listen. What a powerful evangelistic tool that is. If we, could just, we love one another. Love's a powerful tool. Here's my question. Does our community, does our community know that Clovis Hills exists? Does our community know that we love them? What a question. You should discuss that in your small groups this week. What would happen if Clovis Hills was not here? Would our community even know? Because we're called to love not only one another, but we're called to go out and serve. That's a 360 Christian. And what are we doing to do that? What a powerful evangelistic tool. He goes on to say this. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep up your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Listen, when things get bad, don't go south. Keep up your zeal. Believe, have faith that God's gonna bring you through it. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Some of you are going through some tough times right now. People are going, where, where is your faith? Where, where's the faith? 
Are we leading more into Jesus during affliction or are we taking and running? Because the way we respond is a powerful statement about evangelism. Do we believe it or not? Has our lives been transformed or not? He continues to go on and say, 14 through 16, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Amen. Don't be conceited. The world tells you to not associate with people of low position. We are called to be different than the world. There isn't anybody we shouldn't let in these doors. There isn't anybody who's beyond God's love. And if they're not beyond God's love, they're not beyond our love. That's how we evangelize. Because we tell the world, forget you. We're going to love these people. What a powerful evangelistic message that we send. We don't take ourselves seriously and think we're all conceited. We just be real and say, hey, I'm just a poor person. Let me just tell you where the bread is. It's evangelism. I want to tell you one last story, and we're going we're gonna to end with this. I had a friend, his name was Herman. It's not a stage name, his name really was Herman. And he was a teacher, and many of you know that many years ago, I was a principal down in L.A., and, and uh, he was one of my teachers, and we became really good friends. Just, he was a great teacher. He was a science teacher. He was uh, just a good dude in general, but he was... Uh, he didn't believe in God. He was an atheist. And I remember one day I was in my office with a couple other Christians, and he walked in, and we were talking about church and God. And he looked at me, and he goes, Ah, oh, Hinman, are you one of those people? I thought you were smarter than that. I don't even know how to interpret that. But that's what he said. But that started a, a, a conversation that lasted, I kid you not, over the course of two school years, maybe about a year and a half where Herman would see me and every now and then, not every day, but, but every now and then he would just come up to me and say, hey, so if there is a God, and he would just ask questions. And I would try to answer the questions and if I didn't know the answer, I'd say, that's a really good question, Herman. Let me go and look that up. By the way, that's a really good answer, church. If somebody asks you a question about God and you don't know the answer, don't try to make anything up. Just say, oh man, I don't know. I'm gonna go look that up. So I would tell, you know, sometimes I would answer, sometimes I would go look it up. But we never had this running dialogue. And it was great. And about a year and a half passed, and I was out watching the kiddos one day on the blacktop, and he, he came up to me and he said, hey, Scott, there might be, somehow, could be a chance that somehow, maybe, there is a God. <laughs> and in my mind, I was like, oh, man, He's on his way to the cross. He went from atheist to, to, you know, believing that maybe, to agnostic. Oh, man, he's on his way to the cross. I was so excited. And he goes, but, but here's my problem. He goes, I think maybe there might be a God, but my problem is I don't know who or what that God would be. He goes, I don't know. He goes, for all I know, and he pointed to a telephone pole that was right there. He goes, for all I know, that telephone pole could be God. And I said, Herman, if that telephone pole is God, there's only one thing we could do. There's only one response, and that is to get down on our knees and worship that telephone pole. He said, I'm not gonna worship no telephone pole. And I said, neither am I, because you know and I know that's not God. 
And then he said something profound. He goes, Hinman, you're an idiot. He did. And I said, that might be true, Herman. <laughs> and he kind of left disgruntled. Like, ah, stupid, telling me to worship it. And that's it. I didn't see Herman for a while. Fast forward about three weeks to a month, somewhere in that timeline. He comes into my office and he says, hey, I got a question for you. And I had, you know, I, I had five minutes after the conversation that I had about the telephone pole. I was like, Hinman, you are an idiot. You are an idiot. What kind of response is that? Hey, worship a telephone pole, you know. Stupid answer. Like no thought into that at all, you know. And so he comes into my office three weeks later and he says, hey, I have a question for you. And I thought he was going to land blast me and just, you know, I was really prepared. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry about the telephone pole thing. And he goes, here's my question. Is it normal for people who believe in Jesus to be made fun of? Because all my family, like now that I know Jesus, they're like all making fun of me. And I'm like, yeah, Herman actually is kind of normal. That Did you just say you know Jesus? <laughs> I was like blown away by it. I'm like, what? What happened? Are you kidding me? What happened between this telephone pole and you coming to Jesus? He goes, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but yeah, man, you know. And so later on, not till like a long time, did he finally tell me what happened in between that time. This is what happened. He was really mad at me. He was like really mad at me. And so all day he was bothered by what I told him and I, he took it personal and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he had an event that evening and he went to the event and then after the event, he went home. By the time he got home, his, his uh, wife and children were all asleep. So he tried to be quiet getting ready for bed. So he went into his closet, which was just a tiny little closet and he turned the little light on and he's in there trying to get ready for bed and he slipped on something and he kind of fell. And when he slipped on something and he fell, he, he looked down to what he slipped on and he noticed that there was a book. He pulled out the book and it was a Bible. He thought to himself, what is this Bible doing in my house? We've never had a Bible in my house. Little did he know that his wife, who was a teacher at another school, there were some teachers who had been telling her about Jesus and she came to know Christ and they gave her a Bible. She didn't want to offend her husband, so she hid the Bible at the bottom of a pile in the closet. He picks up this Bible and he's like, what is this dude in my house? And and he said it hit him all of a sudden. Like this, this thing of emotion just kind of ran over him. And he's just like, God, like I don't even know if you're real. Hitman thinks, you know, we worship a telephone. Well, I don't know. He goes, but you got to tell me. Like you have to, you, if you're real, you got to show me. And he, he opens up the Bible. Kid you not, this is what he told me. He opens up the Bible just randomly, just opens it up. And it comes in front, it, it lands in Isaiah chapter 6. Now, I don't know if you know what Isaiah chapter 6 is, but Isaiah chapter 6 is the time when Isaiah went into the temple to fulfill his calling. And in the temple, everybody was just worshiping God. They were like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the seraphim and the cherubim, the angels, they were all worshiping God. And, and, and Isaiah says, I am unclean. I'm not worthy of this. And he began to worship also. Are you kidding me? It's the first part of the scripture he ever read. And he's like, this cannot be a coincidence. Scott's talking about worshiping. And here I read this about worshiping. And he went and he woke up his wife. And he told her, he told her what happened. And she says, I've been a believer. I didn't want to tell you. And she led him to Christ that night. 
She explained God's story and told her the, the gospel and he responded and accepted Christ into his life that night. Isn't that amazing? They've since retired from teaching and they're serving at a little church in Mexico. <laughs> Kid you not. I, I tell you this story because of this. Listen, our story is real and it's powerful. And the way we live it out is our soundtrack to a world. And it takes all of us to tell that story because you are a chain, a link in the chain. And it takes the whole church. And we need you. The world needs you to tell your story, to have your soundtrack lived out so that the Hermans of the world can be prayed for. So the Hermans of the world can bounce questions off of. So that the Hermans of the world can come to know the transforming message, life-changing gospel that we have encountered this morning. That's why we need to be 360 Christians and believe in evangelism and live it out, folks. Your story's real. It's powerful. God's story is transforming. And our soundtrack is the way that we get to live it out. So what is your story? What is your soundtrack? Let's live in such a way that we represent God's story so that message can be shared around the world and transformed by it. Let's pray together. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.